you know, if you want to say 90% of IT managers aren't happy with their trash bins, um, that might be the perfect. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying this based off of what I'm looking. I'm, I'm what I'm looking at right now. And you're working on this research right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, you're listening to Hacks and Flax. It's the marketing, PR, and communications podcast from March Communications. This is Manny Vega, and I'm joined by a few colleagues here today in the office. Uh, first off, joining me in the room, we've got Samantha Bell, Senior Account Executive. Hey, Sam. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, a few folks on the phone. We've got Account Manager Steph Jackman. Hi, Steph. Hello. How are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, and finally, we have Research Director... I'm sorry, research manager, research director. Which one is it, Jeremy? Which do you prefer? Uh, I think my official title is research manager. Okay. Uh, do you feel like a director, though? Do you feel like you direct things? <laughs> uh, I, man- I both manage and direct. I am a man of many talents. Excellent. All right. Well, for now, you'll go by research manager, but who knows? By the end of this episode, it might change. Research manager, Jeremy Guterrell. So how are things in Chicago, Jeremy? They are a little hazy, but they're warm. Hazy? So can't complain. Is that <laughs> hazy. Is that Their normal? The isn't great. Not necessarily, but it's a summer day. Gotcha. I'm sure there's science behind hot air and pollutants and humidity. Are you read up on that? Can you can you give us a, a breakdown or no? Uh, by the by the end of the uh, episode, I'll definitely have gotten back to you. Okay, excellent. Yeah, Google it while you're uh, you're listening to us talk. Um, so just for a bit of context here for our listeners, uh, the three of you actually gave a really great in-house uh, presentation about a research project, a, a recent research project for March. Um, and, you know, we do these in-house trainings to kind of learn from them. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to kind of bring it here on, uh, on the podcast and share it with listeners. So, um, you know, and I, and I would argue, and, and perhaps you would agree, like research seems to be a really big area of strength for us here at March. Totally. Um, but also something that we want to, um, that we feel has a, has a pretty good impact. Would you, would you agree? Definitely. Yeah, and Jeremy, what about you? I would say that research is almost always the answer. <laughs> Never question that there is. You would say that. Research answers questions, and uh, it seems to do well by clients. It's obviously not a universal success. It's not you know not a universal key for success, um, but it does a lot. It accomplishes a lot of things that our clients want to do. Um, so it has a lot of effective uses. Okay, and we've um, we've been doing research projects for years here at March, but actually you just joined the team, Jeremy, what, six months ago? Is that right? Yes, just about. I joined in December of last year, so uh, it's probably seven months to the day almost. Okay, and since this is sort of your like area of expertise, do you want to explain a little bit of your background in research and how you came about like getting into this field? Sure. Um, so before coming to March, um, I worked at the research arm of a large public relations agency for four years. Um, I started out in the new business team. Um, then I transitioned to a general analyst. Then I became a project manager, um, doing both secondary and primary uh, research. Um, and as part of that, I did both. Um, you know, the I did what we called mediagenic research, which is a lot of. Um, what we're focusing on today, which is research designed to, um, you know, give companies the opportunity to voice a compelling position and, you know, own a compelling stake of the argument. It's, it's designed primarily for marketing materials and it's media centric. 
hence the mediagenic label. Um, and I also worked on more strategic research, which is less, um, it, it's not outward facing, it's a lot more nitty gritty data analysis, you know, seeing what works, what doesn't. Um, so I was there for four years. Uh, it is not what I studied at school. It was, you know, kind of a, a series of happy accidents that led me to research. I was initially interested in marketing, um, which led me to look at the public relations agency, which led me to look at the research agency. Um, so I have definitely learned through doing um, my illustriously long career, um, <laughs> and I'm trying to apply that expertise here at March. Cool. And we're glad to have you. So um, Sam and Steph, I know you're both on this team for this client, uh, and, and that's kind of how this conversation started. So could you explain a little bit, how did research get into the discussion? Maybe Sam, you can start, and then Steph, you can add on. Or actually, maybe Steph, you can start. I'm getting a, 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 a cue. I wasn't on the account when they decided to start. Okay, so. perfect. So Steph, maybe you can give us some of the background, the original uh, discussions around research. Sure. So um, research was something we wanted to do with this client for a long time. Um, they have a really a lot of really strong products and a lot of strong thought leaders and the messages you go out with on a regular basis. Um, but really, we wanted to sort of be able to back those up and have sort of a new, fresh campaign to go out with a lot of the media targets that we go out with regularly. So um, research was the way we decided to go about it. Um, and it was an idea that um, as research campaigns often go, it, it started off as one idea and a year or so later, it was ended up being something completely different, um, which was which was great because it, it just really meant that we were content, continuously sort of shaping the way shaping the way we wanted it to go and shaping what we wanted the messages to be to um, really fit into what the media was talking about and what people talked about and cared about. So that was sort of the um, the catalyst for this particular client's research um, around email security. Um, and it's kind of it's all history from there. <laughs> I'm not sure if Sam has anything else to add to that. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it's important to to note that like it does take a long time to figure out exactly what the best um, topic or most meaningful topic for your client will be, and it's important to pay attention to what's going on in the news to make sure that it's relevant when the time comes to launch. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Also, oh, go ahead, Steph. Yeah, not even making sure that it's not something that somebody else has also has already announced. There's nothing worse than getting a bunch of findings that basically prove something that's already been out there for a year. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's definitely on the mediagenic side, right? Um, you mentioned it kind of changed uh, focus area maybe a little bit over the over the year or so that it was in the works. But when you're talking about one of these kind of media-centric uh, research projects, how do you set expectations with the client, first of all, about what they could expect Um you know, in terms of coverage or just in terms of, uh, you know, activity around the around the uh, the research once it's launched? Um, I don't know. Steph, sure. do you want to start? Yeah. Sure. Um, so I think the biggest thing that we've noticed recently in the last couple of years I've been doing research launches for clients is that journalists less and less so care about the interviews or they less and less so want to get on the phone with an actual spokesperson from the client. So that's something we've had to explain to clients is just because there's not going to be necessarily four or five media interviews doesn't mean there's not going to be great coverage. Um, it's about the story you tell in your pitch and in the report um, and in the release because that's usually what journalists are going to end up basing their their articles on. Um, so that's something that we, we've said often and 
Um, the other thing that we say all the time is that research is really is is a slow burn campaign. So um, everyone wants that like initial wow factor on the day that the research drops and and wants all the coverage the day of, and which is that's certainly important. But um, there's a million different ways to use research in the days and months following the actual announcement. So um, even if the the day of announcement coverage is not exactly what the client hopes for there's doesn't necessarily mean that it's not going to be successful or it's not successful all the time yeah i totally agree the only thing i would kind of add to that is being able to package that data and let the let the media run with it is is really the the best way to to give them the information that they're like craving so obviously media loves data points and for them to be able to for you you to offer them the information that they don't, like Steph said, they don't need to get on the phone to be further briefed on the results. Um, having really clear, impactful data points is the best way to go, and that's something that you have to also kind of um, hold hands with the client on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit, kind of this idea of packaging up um, a story, really, mm-hmm. and and having something that's kind of ready-made to go for the media. Um, just to step back for a second, uh, Jeremy, you already kind of described the difference uh, between mediagenic and strategic research. So mediagenic, obviously, more for the media, and then strategic is more for, like, uh, trying to, to learn something, right? Um, maybe not necessarily for external use. Are, are there benefits um, to each? Well, they just have very, they have fundamentally different um, uses, and so you, they are scoped often extremely differently. Um, you go into a mediagenic research project um, with the objective of, you know, the objective is like establishing credibility for your clients, um, garnering media attention, often finding, you know, identifying insights that might support the client's positioning or underscore the importance of um, a client's product or, you know, just the the nature of the client's business itself. Uh, at the end of the day, your outcome will depend on that objective. So if the objective is to, you know, find compelling, unique insights, um, then you're going to scope it very differently than if you're trying to find tactical insights um, that into what works better. Um, so oftentimes, you know, the, you know, the audiences might be different. For mediagenic research, you're often trying to reach your audience because, um, you want to be able to, you know, confirm that you're on the right track or your product meets their needs. Um, so if your audience is, if your, you know, customer base is IT professionals, then you're going to want to survey them. That may be true for more strategic research, but it may not. Um, you know, with strategic research, you can often get away with smaller sample sizes or more diverse um, audiences because it's you're not trying to find um, insights that are you know necessarily compelling they just need to be actionable so in mediagenic research you know you're you're trying to get reach large numbers of people to find you know uh, clearly meaningful statistics um, you know to find that 70 percent 80 percent 90 percent of your target audience thinks something or agrees with something or has a similar problem or something like that. Um, and that's what you're going for because you need to have it stand out 
um, and be interesting enough to catch the attention of the you know of the reader of the journalist of the potential customer whereas in strategic research you're quite fine you know getting two statistics that are only a couple points off um, because you know you're really only concerned with statistical significance or you know other you know specific data points so if you were to find out that one thing you know moves the needle by 30% another thing moves the needle by 33% that might be good enough that might be you know you might be satisfied with those numbers for a bit of strategic research but if you're trying to go to the public with it that's not you know that's not intuitively or immediately obvious that oh 33% is so much better than 30% um, so you set those objectives differently from the outset, um, and then you just scope the entire project start to finish um, looks, you know, different based on what you're trying to do. There are many instances of people trying to toe the line and do both strategic research and mediagenic research in the same study. Um, it's not unique to clients or our clients or really anyone. It's it's uh, you know a very understandable thing. You want to maximize your research spend. You want to get as much done out of the smallest amount of dollars, the small amount, smallest amount of effort. Um, but at the end of the day, it is 99 times out of 100 always most effective to go in identifying the objective and keeping them as specific as possible. So if you're going, to, if you you know if your end goal is to you know, create that um, base of insights to help you voice a compelling position, then you'd want to scope a mediagenic survey. If it is strictly internal, if it's just trying, you know, you trying to figure out what your strategy is, then that's strategic research. And it's essential to set that, to understand that from the outset um, and try to keep these things as discreet as possible. Okay, you mentioned the scoping. How detailed do you need to be in scoping? Um, because I know there, there, there are pitfalls, right? I mean, you could be you know, pretty far ahead in a research project and suddenly decide you want to uh, learn something and it's, it's pretty hard to go back, right? You can't just come up with a new angle later on. The, yes. As a researcher, it's my job to develop that specificity and suss it out with the client. Um, so in terms of if you're a client or if you're someone who wants to do research, you don't necessarily have to know all the specifics before you even contact someone. Um, but everything has to be completely thought out, completely nailed down um, before the research actually occurs. And in this case, as in most cases, um, we're talking about a survey. We're talking about going to people and asking them questions directly. Um, not all mediagenic research is survey-based. There are you know, plenty of opportunities for secondary research, for mining, um, existing databases, and then you have a lot more flexibility. Um, but in terms of survey research, where you're going to go out at one point in time and you're going to talk to you know a certain target audience of people, everything, everything needs to be nailed down from the outset. Um, you need to, you know, you need to figure out exactly who you want to talk to, and it's not good enough to just say, you know, uh, senior IT professionals. Um, you know, you would have to, you will or would have to work with the researcher to define what senior means. You know, how is that a t job title? Is it number of years of experience? What is an IT professional? Is an IT professional someone who has it as their job title? Is it someone who, you know, their job responsibilities include overseeing, you know, telecoms or, um, you know, computer hookups? 
does it have to be a um, a decision maker? You know, do they have to have some or all responsibility over purchasing or um, contract decisions? Um, so, you know, even just in the scoping of who you're going to talk to, you need to be extremely specific. And that also comes into play with the objectives and what goes into the survey, what you want to do with it. Um, as you said, we can't, you know, you can't go back and ask things, some people different things. Um, or you can, but it, it costs about the same because you just have to go back to the same people and ask them more questions. Um, so when you, you know, sooner, the sooner you want to think about it, the better. Um, it's the job of the researcher to make sure it's all nailed down before you go into field. But you should be thinking about, you know, what do I want to do with this research? What do I want to, it to accomplish? Um, do I just want insights for us to have, you know, at hand in case people ask and, take, you know, to help us with our sales process, to help us with conversions so that we can, you know, tell people, oh, you know, we found this is the case or we found that people tend to uh, prefer this. That's one option. Like I said, um, you know, having in your back pocket. Are you trying to author some thought leadership? Are you trying to put out reports, um, you know, press releases all around based off of this research that you can own as part of the conversation? Um, are you trying to, you know, use them in multiple occasions? Are you trying to support multiple campaigns or is it an all at once type of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so you really need to make sure, you know, and, and like I said, the researcher will help you with this. Everything in a research project, all of the effort for the most part comes at you know, easily 80% of the of the effort comes before we even get in the field, um, you know, writing the questionnaire, et cetera. The remaining 20% is in the analysis later on, making connections and telling that story. Um, but that analysis will always fail every single time if the objectives haven't been set from the outset. Um, so just always, you know, make sure that you know what you want to do, and we try to help you be as specific as possible um, at every part of the process in that. Okay, cool. So I know there's there's a pretty, um, I guess, regular process to it, right? What's what's the actual process? I mean, we talked a lot about kickoff right now. What comes after that, and um, how does if we're talking about a mediagenic, you know, survey based uh, piece of research, how does that normally proceed? Sure, um, I'm you know. I'm so glad to be doing all the talking. Oh, we'll uh, get to the others. Don't worry. You're, you're... So, no, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I have found it most effective um, to always set up a kickoff call with the clients. Um, chances are, you know, it's always best to bring in research as early in the process as possible, if for no other reason than to just say, "Hey, we're thinking about this. You know, keep it on your radar. Um, you know, give me or the researcher time to." familiarize myself with the client, with their space. Um, so once, you know, we've just had preliminary discussions, the best um, course of action is to set up a kickoff call, kickoff meeting. Um, and that's really where I try to hammer out what the objectives are in the, you know, most specific terms. It's not, uh, I, perhaps it is because I do research or Maybe it was because I was drawn to research because of it, um, but I crave specificity and, you know, really have a trouble with vagueness. So, it you know that first kickoff meeting is really where we set the objectives. What are you trying to do with this research? The the answer is not is never 
just to do research because I think it's a good idea or the guy, you know, I saw my competitors do it. Um, everything has to ladder back to the business objective. Is the business objective to, you know, sell more product? Is it to increase the visibility of the company? Is it to increase the credibility of the company? What, at the end of the day, does the CEO, CMO, et cetera, what are we trying to do for the business? Then from there, you determine what the communications objective is because ultimately, you know, because this is a mediagenic survey or a study, um, there's the external facing component of that. So if our business objective is to sell more product, our communications objective might be to get our name out there more so that our customers, you know, have top of mind reference and they know or they think to, um, they think of us when they're purchasing. Or maybe it's to build trust in our company so that when people are considering, you know, what to purchase, they think, oh, you know, this company is a, is credible. Uh, they have expertise in my field and I trust them enough to just give them my business. So at this point, we've had our, we have our business objective, our communications objective, and the research objective has to direct, to uh, connect directly to both of those. If the, you know, if we're trying to move product and we're trying to do that by, you know, showing how expert, are showing our expertise in the field, the research is designed to find insights that will prove our clients' expertise in the field. Um, so there are times when that's extremely easy that, you know, everyone comes in and say, okay, that's, that is connected easily to that, that's connected to that, that's our objective, um, but you can't necessarily rely on that. So the first meeting is really to make sure everyone is completely clear, completely aligned, completely agreed on what we're trying to do with the research. Once we've accomplished that, um, then it's, you know, it's nice to start to brainstorm a little bit about what we're going to cover in terms of the topic. Um, you know, very often these studies are, you know, explore perceptions or explore attitudes towards something or usage of something. Um, and we talk, you know, when we brainstorm with the client, um, we want to talk about you know, assuming we have a, a general idea of who our audience is, and we'll, you know, we usually hammer that out over the next coming weeks or so. Um, we talk, okay, you know, what are the headlines that you'd like to see come out of this? What are you, what are the insights you're trying to find? Um, that is often very effective because while I deal with numbers on a daily basis, not everyone does, um, and not everyone, you know, speaks as fluently with them, um, at least right off the cuff. So it's always, you know, you, you start in generalities. I want to know that, you know, if most uh, people who drink water prefer to drink flavored water, for example, or I want to know if most uh, managers of convenience stores are dissatisfied with the um, uh, security available to them. For example, these are questions or simple statements um, that can be discovered, can be borne out in the research. Um, and so we just try to you know, walk through those. I, I try to suss out um, and explore what have you been trying to learn about your, about your customer base? What do you want them to know about your product? Are you trying to, you know, does your product or your service or your company have a unique selling proposition, a unique feature um, that you want to see 
if people need, for example. Um, to really just try to you know figure out what we want to talk about in the questionnaire in the survey. Um, so have that first talk, talk through our objectives, talk through you know generally what we want to explore. Hmm. Um, so after that kickoff, uh, we usually go and write the questionnaire, write a draft questionnaire. Uh, it's a combination of myself, sometimes the account team, um, other people on the Marsh side. Um, you know, try to you know figure out what we're trying to ask and and. Uh, structure it in such a way that is very understandable to the client and understandable to anyone who doesn't necessarily uh, deal with questionnaires and research all the time. Um, so, it, you know, we try to follow a logical uh, format, a logical outline, so that anyone can say, oh, yes, okay, now we're talking about do people, you know, do these convenience store managers like the uh, security? What do they have in place? Uh, what other options are available to them, for example? Um, you know, just try and give everyone a chance to look at the questionnaire and make sure that, it, you know, if it sparks any ideas on them, but with them on uh, headlines they want to hear about or things they want to explore, that we have the opportunity to put that in the questionnaire before we go, in, you know, into field and ask people. Um, because, like I said, as like you said, once we're, you know, once we go out to ask people, we can't really ask them afterwards. So we really want to make sure that everyone's seen the questionnaire, everyone understands it, everyone you know sees, oh, I know that this question gets me an interesting data point. Or, oh, I see that this question, if I look at people who answer yes to this question, what do they think about X, Y, and Z? You know, trying to make connections between the, the data points um, you know, to develop our story later on. So, had our kickoff, wrote the questionnaire, client loves it, everyone's happy. Uh, now we send it out what's called into field. We get it programmed onto a website usually, um, or uh, like a, if we do it over telephone, we get someone to write a script. Uh, they go out, they find our target audience, which we have to find. They get people to take the survey, and then they send us the results. Uh, it wholly, the length wholly depends on who we're trying to reach and how many of them. Same with the costs involved. Um, it really, it totally depends. People always want a ballpark, but it costs a lot more to reach, you know, CMOs of Fortune 100 companies because there's only a hundred of them and they're very high, you know, high level people than it does to reach a hundred, you know, syrup farmers. They're probably a lot easier to find, a lot cheaper to reach, et cetera. Maybe not syrup farmers, there probably aren't as many of those. I was going to question that, actually. I don't know yeah, very many syrup farmers. Convenience store clerks, for example, there's a lot of those. Gotcha, yeah. Um, you know, Fortune 100 CMOs, there's only 100 of them. Um, it's a lot harder to reach them. So we're in field. We get our, our requisite number of people to take our survey. Um, then we get the data on our side. We look at the data. We, um, you know, there's... A period of a week or two, depending on how long the survey is, how complex it is, um, where we're just doing analysis. It's not, you know, making charts. It's not making PowerPoints. It's just looking at the data and seeing um, what connections can be made. And like I mentioned before about, you know, cutting one question by another question is an extremely powerful way to get more out of the data. It's not just that, you know, most... Um, IT managers want apps that can, you know, help them manage their workflow. It's that people, you know, IT managers 
who work at larger companies are more likely to you know want this or IT managers who have a past who have security experience are more likely to want this for example um, being able to cut the data in different ways and you know look at how you know respondents who answer a certain way who think a certain way who do a certain thing or all embody the same characteristic it's interesting to look at if they answer other questions similarly mm-hmm. to find other insights that can be helpful. Um, so like the client you were, we were talking about earlier, um, you know, during the analysis process, we found out that um, IT managers who are confident in their email security answered very differently from IT managers who are not confident in their email security or IT uh, security managers who have experienced an email breach are answered questions questions significantly differently from those who haven't. So what does that mean? Do that do we mean do we um, can we now learn from them? Um, can we you know look at other data points and determine oh is it because they're in a high risk industry or you know have they now have come out of that hack experience thinking a different way or thinking that different threats pose different you know different threats are more or less threatening. Um, so. We are, we've had our kickoff, we wrote a questionnaire, we were in a field, we've gotten the data back, we've spent a week or two analyzing it, trying to figure out our story, and the final, you know, very final thing, week or two, create the deliverable. Um, and what the deliverable looks like, you know, tracks back, as everything does, to the objectives. Um, if, if the client wants to publish some thought leadership, it might be a freestanding report. It might be something that they can stamp their name on and put on their website and say, look at this, we have a white paper, we have an ebook based off of this research. Or it might be, um, you know, a more bare bones list, you know, PowerPoint list of charts, for example, if it's mainly to give them talking points, if it's to help the sales team back up what they're saying. Um, it really depends on what the client needs, what the client wants, about what the report deliverable is. So, in, you know, talked for a long time, but it's kickoff, you figure out what you're going to ask of people, you ask those people, and then you figure out what you do with that data afterwards, and you end up with a report, some, you know, a storyline, uh, an ebook, whatever it is, and that is generally um, where the bulk of my involvement lies. Beautiful. That's simple. Okay. Great. So we got it. That was very thorough and I appreciate the explanation. So that's good. Um, and I want to ask Steph and Sam, uh, Steph, first of all, while this is, while this, you know, the kickoff process is happening and all this kind of, um, you know, scoping out is happening. Um, are you kind of formulating a game plan as well for what you're going to do with the research afterwards? Or do you have to sort of wait until everything's wrapped up before you can actually do that? So it's tricky because we do, as Jerry mentioned, we do that whole mapping out what we want the headlines to be. Um, and what, like in a, in a, ideal world, what the stories and articles would look like. Um, but yeah, we do sort of start, start to map out what our message would be, assuming the research um, comes out the way we planned and the way we'd like it to. But honestly, a lot of it, a lot of the report storyline and the release and, and the pitches and everything, we really can't do until we have the raw data and we have someone like Jeremy go through and pull out um, what the key pieces and the interesting pieces are. Um, we obviously know sort of what sector of the media we'll be targeting because we know what kind of questions we ask. We can prepare media lists, but really, the 
the breadth of the content and the the media messages really has to wait until the research has been analyzed. Do you ever get any uh, like pushback from clients during that process where it's like, you know, they're kind of hungry to get moving on on the on the outreach, or is, is do most people pretty much understand like, look, you got to wait until the yeah. research is done? Yeah, they pretty much seem to get it. Um, they understand that. I mean, I think the only time there's kind of pressure to move quicker is research obviously has a shelf life shelf life so you can't really sit on it too long um i'm not sure if sam's had a different experience but most of the clients i work with are pretty understanding yeah i would i would definitely agree i think that the when the data comes back um putting the report together is somewhat collaborative with the client anyways and since you did have that original sit down planning meeting um they understand that you know this is kind of our only shot to get it right so they they can um be a little bit more patient but yes they're very eager to get going once that data does start rolling in right because so it sounds like it's not exactly um it's not like you just give jeremy this project and he goes off and he comes back you know several weeks later with some like <laughs> polished project i mean there's always communication with the client yep, from definitely. the kickoff through to the um actual Launch. you know as you said the delivery the mm-hmm. deliverable right absolutely yeah and i'm i'm sure jeremy could talk a little bit more about how he works with the client but it's definitely a, a collaborative process um i mean the data is what it is but um you can definitely work together to highlight the the things that are most important to the client absolutely um yeah and you you want you know it's always best to have the client involved during all parts of the process because you know it is true that we can't go back and um change things after the fact and that's why it's so important to have the client involved and aligned during every step of the process so from the kickoff um, you know, I talked about how we would draft the questionnaire uh, internally and send it over to the client and give them a chance to review. Um, you know, it's a very open process. And because, you know, we know that we can't go back later and it's very clear to the client, we make it clear to the client that we can't go back later. Um, so we want to hear everything that may be interesting to them um, from the outset. So we always try to, you know, we always run everything by them, like I said, um, but, you know, it's very, we try to be very clear and very transparent about, okay, this section will get, you know, we'll explore this. Um, and this section will learn more about this. And we might be able to, you know, connect this to this. Um, as I think both Steph and Sam mentioned, um, it is, you know, research. We are going out and asking people things. We don't know how they will respond. Um, and that's why it's always best to start with, you know, in a broader term, starting to look at the headlines that you want to accomplish. Um, and because one specific way of wording a question or one specific way, you know, headline you're looking for might not work out. It might not be true. Um, so it's all about exploring the themes in multiple ways and, you know, exploring topics in multiple ways um, to find, you know, what will be applicable, what will make sense, what will um, support the storyline that we're trying to put forward. And if, you know, if we have to readjust that storyline after the fact that we get the data back and it doesn't support it, um, it's, you know, we work with the client very closely to say, hey, you know, you thought that this was, we, we all thought, or we hypothesized, if, you know, if we're doing super research speak, we hypothesized that this would be the case. It turns out it's not the case. It might be that this other thing is the case. How can we, you know, evolve our story, evolve our positioning um, to reflect what the research says um, 
you know, it can't just always be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always try to, you know, figure out what we can do and what we can say from the research, um, because obviously, obviously at the end of the day, we're not the ones telling the people how to answer. We're, you know, going to people and seeing what they had to say. Mm. Okay, and and I actually want to touch on that in, in a second. But first, uh, Steph, do you want to walk us through kind of the traditional distribution strategies? Um, you know, what do you normally do once you have this finished product? Um, how do you now take it to the media? Sure. I typically um, like to start um, pre-pitching under embargo um, a little over a week in advance. Um, and then basically, well, sorry, I should back up even further. Once we have the report and the storylines are laid out, that's when we, the, the core team usually goes in and breaks apart which which angles we're going to use for the media um, and which sectors of the media are going to get which pitches. Um, we really like to sort of tap as many, um, I guess, media sectors as we can in terms of um, getting the most out of everything. Um, and we usually like to start that pre-pitching process with those specific pitches tailored to specific media um, about a week and a half in advance. Um, and then from there, it's just a lot of um, pivoting where we need to in terms of, okay, this angle's not working or we're not getting the traction we want. Um, so what can we, how can we change our angle a little bit? How can we find new targets? Um, and then also a lot of it too is really monitoring the media um, and making sure that those daily news scans are happening so we can find a way to attach our research to um, things that are happening in the news to make it even more timely and make give journalists that sort of added boost to want to write about the research now as opposed to two weeks from now. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Sam. No, I don't. I don't think so. Would you say, um, you know, Steph mentioned building these lists, and, or at least trying to get to you know as many different reporters as possible. Do you feel like, as a general rule of thumb, research generally will help you spread out media, or does it really depend on the research? I mean, um, I imagine it probably depends, right? Yeah, I think it probably depends. I mean, there's definitely going to be if you have a strong angle, that's probably going to poke holes in the norm so if it's something different that you're not expecting unexpected results a lot of times that can be more broadly distributed um and garner the the interest more widely versus having a niche topic that you can only hit a only a few people in certain sectors might be interested in but um that's the great thing about the being able to analyze that raw data is that you can pull out different nuggets that are going to sit well with the different industry reporters covering different beats and so that really does help you kind of extend your reach more broadly than you typically would be able to with like a product announcement or something because you can kind of do that strategically right yeah for so sure. the idea of just uh you've got this piece of research um it's got some pretty broad results but you can also kind of slice it up a little bit depending on obviously the prep work you've done ahead of time as jeremy mentioned um and then have what like mini campaigns right exactly yep and we might get into this a little bit later, but sometimes withholding some of that research for a second wave or a third wave um, to really give give it legs is is a good idea as well. Yeah, anything to add to that, Steph, this idea of like these mini campaigns? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I would just echo what, what Sam was saying. And I, we've had a lot of success in the past in terms of holding back specific um, chunks of research so to really get like the most bang from your buck out of it and making sure that it's, not, it's really not a one-done campaign that you're making it work for six months on the line or nine months on the line and, and going out the whole new storyline um, all from one initial set of, of data. Just make sure your researcher knows that you're planning on doing that. <laughs> right, so that's something yeah. you can account yes. for ahead of time, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, how much, um, 
are, are you establishing plan B's ahead of time and, and kind of thinking, okay, if this doesn't go well, you know, or our original angle isn't as strong as we think it is, then we know at least we have this option. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times you ob- ob- obviously want to have a plan B. I mean, you hope and pray that <laughs> it's going to be a huge hit on the first, um, the first launch, the first day. But, um, there's always in any campaign a point where you kind of have to re-examine um, your success so far and, and pivot where necessary. So um, having kind of an, a second um, a second chance is always nice to cushion mm-hmm. yourself with. And if I can jump in on that, like that, knowing that ahead of time is really important, and that's something that I always try to do, and I know that March always tries to do. When you know before we, as we're writing the questionnaire, before we go into field. We plan ahead, knowing that not everything will work, not everything will come out as you know the client had as, as hoped. You know, if you want to say ninety percent of IT managers aren't happy with their trash bins, um, that might be the perfect. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm saying this based off of what I'm looking. I'm, I'm what I'm looking at right now, and you're working on this research right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm looking at a desk with trash bins on it. So, yes, um, the perfect headline for the client might be that 90% of IT managers aren't happy with their trash bins, um, but that might not be the case. And, you know, it's not the role or of research to find the numbers that clients want. It's the role of research to find interesting numbers that can be used by the client. Mm-hmm. Um, so as Steph mentioned, um, or Sam, I'm sorry, I was distracted by trash cans. Um, (laughs) You know, we know that not everything's going to work on the same, on the first try. It might not work during the research process. It might not work during the pitching process. Um, And that's why it's so important to have an iterative and collaborative process while we're scoping the research and writing the questionnaire and being clear, okay, this is the section on trash bins and it might not work. And if it doesn't work, then maybe we'll pivot to this other section down here. Or maybe, you know, we cut the data a different way and we find that, you know, while most IT managers are satisfied with their trash bins, the people who, you know, the IT managers who use metal trash bins are super happy with them. I really think you've done a lot of, like, in-depth research on this. (laughs) A lot of, yeah, I've thought a lot about trash bins. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so, you know, I, I am almost a one-trick pony in terms of, you know, plan out everything from the outset, think about everything from the outset, but I cannot emphasize it enough. Um, not everything is going to work, and being able to plan for that from the beginning is will always, always be the best course of action. It won't necessarily sink you if you don't, but it might. And that's the worst, absolute worst position to be in, at least in my job, is to say, oh, we did the research and we didn't find anything interesting. And that's a position that you never want to be in. Um, So, you know, being able to plan from the outset, if this doesn't work, this might work. And if this doesn't work also, then maybe this divided by this might work. Just my plug. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And um, in terms of uh, just other things that you could do with the research that that Jeremy was able to put together and that you were able to put together as a team, um, so obviously you went out to media with it, but was there other content items? Were you able to do more with it? Oh, yeah, definitely. When we put these research reports together, um, media is, is obviously a very big part of it, but these these 
research vehicles are also huge for sales and lead gen and things like that. Um, and the one client that I worked on, a research report, uh, Sam and I worked on together pretty recently, um, and Jeremy actually, um, we did an info, or they did an infographic and they also did, um, a lead gen campaign a couple week, month, a couple weeks later and, um, it was, it ended up being a whole integrated campaign and, and I think that's the biggest, the biggest piece of it. I feel like a broken record, but it really is making sure that you're getting, um, the most bang for your buck and using the research in as many ways as you can in the, in the time you have before it sort of expires, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things like drafting bylines for media and also infographics and using it as lead gen and nurturing and things like that, um, really makes a difference between a research campaign that's going to make a small splash and one that's going to be um, sort of cross-functional and and uh, can be used across the organization. Yeah, even things that you you typically think about as being more marketing, like a um, a newsletter or a la- even just a landing page on the website, even a blog post on the website, they're all really good ways to generate more content internally and externally to your customers. Okay, and um, and kind of wrapping things up a little bit here too. How was the project kind of ultimately received by your client, and um, any any kind of takeaways that you would you would take from this particular project? Uh, Steph, why don't we start with you? Mm. In terms of takeaways, to me, I think the biggest thing is, and I thought this for every every research campaign I've worked on, but really starting early and giving yourself that lead time and that time to really pivot, so you're not it's not like two days before the launch and you're like, oh shoot, we don't know what kind of coverage we're going to be getting. It's, it's allowing yourself the time to really digest the angles and um, really change courses if you need to to make sure that the results and the media results your coverage or your clients expecting are in line with with what um, actually ends up taking place. Cool, and Sam, anything to add to that? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, definitely giving yourself enough time is is a huge part of it, but. Again, it's like not the end of the world. If, if on day, on launch day, you're not getting waves and waves of coverage, there's, there, because you're, you, there is so much planning on the front end, there's always other, other options. And so being able to pick an, um, a new angle to run with or again, turning it into a more content focused thing, it's going to benefit you no matter what. Cool. And Jeremy, anything to add? I have a feeling I know what your big takeaway would be, but in any, any other, uh, uh, like best practices or, or, or takeaways from this specific project that you'd want to share? Well, I was involved in the beginning in the scoping and objective seeking, uh, executive settings. So all issues are not at all attributable to, attributable to me. <laughs> but um, it went great anyway. Disclaimer. So, I mean, hey. Yeah. All successes are due to my, uh, brilliance and all failures are, of course, due to me not being involved. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, it's no, my, my takeaway, um, is, was to, you know, always be flexible to what the client needs, um, especially as, the other two have said, um, if things don't always land splashly on day one. You know, I came in with an idea of what the deliverable should look like, and that really wasn't what the client wanted, nor what the client needed. Um, so being able to be flexible um, and recognize that the core might be the data and the numbers, um, but what comes from it, the story, will need to be flexible based on the client, based on the media climate, based on what happens in the news. Um, so, you know, having that ability to be flexible is really essential to, you know, accompli- accomplishing your client's objectives. 
Awesome. All right. Good planning. Be flexible. Uh, and, and don't panic if, if things go wrong. Those are some good takeaways. Um, all right. Appreciate it. So uh, that's it for today then, guys. Uh, Jeremy, did you ever find out why it's all hazy in, in Chicago? Oh, well, so there are multiple reasons. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Apparently, uh, during the summer months, there's less air circulation, so you have more chance of having stagnant air. Uh, okay. It's windy. Um, also, there the the increased heat and increased sunlight because the Earth is tilted towards the sun in whatever hemisphere you are um, makes it more likely that the sun is going to like basically cook the chemicals in the air um, and create some chemical reactions that produce undesirable effects if you will um, and not necessarily borne out in my research but something I knew from before um, hot air can contain more humidity. Um, so that is really what adds to the haziness and mugginess. Um, so I can only assume that there is the, um, like you can feel consciously the hazy, muggy, oppressive humidity. Um, and that is actually separate from the un, you know, the unperce- imperceivable pollution that is happening in the air as well. Fantastic. That's so appropriate coming from a research man. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> On the first go. day of summer. <laughs> he can research anything. It's the first day of summer. There you go. Perfect. Thanks so much. Exactly. Thanks, guys, for all your time. Right, thanks all. all right. Bye, thanks. everyone. Bye. Thank you. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Good episode, good conversation with Steph Jackman, Sam Bell, and Jeremy Guterrell, who all worked on that same research project for a, a March Communications client. Uh, it was a really successful project. I know one that, that we're really, really proud of as an agency. And again, it's a topic that we haven't really covered here on the podcast before, uh, research at all. Um, but it is sort of an area of strength, I, I feel, uh, for the agency. So I thought it was important to cover. Uh, and if you're kind of, if you've ever been curious about research, um, you know, the potential for, for you as an agency or for your, for your own company, uh, if you're working in-house, uh, hopefully we cut, we answered a lot of your questions today, hopefully. Uh, and, and hopefully we kind of covered a lot of ground and, and helped kind of broaden your understanding of that topic. Uh, if you're ever interested in learning more, of course, you can feel free to reach out to the agency. Uh, our email is info at marchcoms.com. Um, quick shout out before we go, by the way, to the Holmes Report. Uh, they actually syndicate an episode of March, uh, the March podcast, Hacks and Flax, each month. Uh, we also sponsor their podcast. Uh, their show is called The Echo Chamber. So you can find that over at thehomesreport.com. Uh, the URL is actually just homesreport.com. Uh, and you can also listen on iTunes uh, and anywhere else that you find uh, podcasts. And while you're there on iTunes, by the way, if you hit subscribe on our show, Hacks and Flax, uh, you'll have the latest episode of Hacks and Flax delivered straight to your device when we come out. It's the easiest way to listen. You don't have to remember anything. You don't have to go hunting for the show when it comes out. Uh, if you hit subscribe, it comes straight to your device. Uh, you can also listen to us, of course, on our blog. It's called NPR Nonsense. You can find it at marchcoms.com slash blog. Uh, finally, we're on Twitter. The handle there is at HacksFlax. And we're at Instagram. It's the same handle, at HacksFlax. So that's it for today, guys. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. This is Manny Vega. Thanks for listening.